What's happening in trans-Tasman sport? From Australia and New Zealand with Nikki, Ben and Craig. You are listening to the Quasi Sport Podcast with myself, Craig Norenbergs, and waiting across the Tasman from where I am in Auckland is Ben Kimber in Sydney. Hi, Benny. In Sydney, I am having a lovely evening. Thank you, Craig. How are you? I think it's every every good thank you. Every night's a good night in Sydney, isn't it? And also every day is a good day for <laughs> Nikki Styrus, who is also in Auckland. Hi, Nikki. Hello, boys. Lovely to talk to you. I haven't spoken to you for a couple of weeks, so I'm planning to chat about. No, that's that is my fault that we had to skip last week because I've been working on a new show for Sky Sport in the morning and at midday news. Anyone in New Zealand who hasn't seen it, shame on you. Tune in and watch it. And congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations also to Ben, who made his commentary debut this weekend. Ben, what was that all about? I did. I did, mate. Well, I've, I've been wanting to get into it for a while. I, I used to do it a very long time ago, and, uh, and I've been wanting to do it again. So I called up a couple of mates at rugby.com.au, and they, and they live stream um, the NRC, the provincial competition here, some schoolboy footy, uh, the Super Rugby. And I, made a, I was the caller for a game between two schoolboy teams, Waverley and St. Augustine's out at Bankwest Stadium, which was the curtain raiser before the Wallabies-Manu-Samoa game. And I uh, had a ball. Fantastic. Had a really good time. Oh, I'm sure you're fantastic. Yeah. Well done. And what was the st- incidentally, what was the stadium like? The stadium's great. It's the second time I've been out there. I went out there for a Waratahs-Brumbies game. And, and while the, we've had a lot of controversy in Sydney, you might be aware of about the knocking down of what used to be the SFS or Aussie Stadium, which was the Waratahs' home ground. It used to be where the Wallabies played back in the day. When you go to a stadium that's been built, understanding the way stadiums should be built, like Bankwest, it's fantastic. Everyone's right on top of the ground. You are super close. They build it too with the roof coming around, lighting under the roof, and it just you can the, the capacity for the people running the game to give the place a bit more atmosphere and a bit more vibe, like sitting up at Suncor Stadium in Queensland. Very good. Bankwest, you know, not a not the schmickest, you know, most technically advanced stadium in the world, but just, you know, really smartly built. Um, big corridors, big stairwells, enough food and uh, and beverage outlets for everyone, and you are all right on the game, so you get the maximum possible atmosphere. The, the Samoan crowd was great last night. Yes, well let's um, let's get into the cricket first. We'll talk a bit rugby a little bit later because we'll get into that a little bit depth on on whether that was actually um, the All Blacks flogging Tonga was good for the game. But let's just quickly jump to the Ashes. Uh, because it's more kind of top ahead as our, our listeners um, hear this as we go to air. Let's just talk about Steve Smith. Um, now, he's a guy that missed the last test and the Aussies lost. Is that a coincidence or are we putting this down to, provided the Aussies walk away with the ashes, that Steve, that down to Steve Smith, Benny? Mate, how can you not? I mean, this, this, yeah. uh, there's never been an Ashes series in history, which has been so much about one person. And we're talking about the Bradman era as well, I reckon. But just Steve Smith has been absolutely the the story of every time he's been there. And the fact that he wasn't there, there was the story as well. I'll give Ben Stokes the miracle. Well, you know, he did fantastically well, but you can almost guarantee that if Steve Smith was there, they wouldn't have been walking away with the biscuits and the chocolates on that occasion. Steve Smith, the context too of where he's come from, the disgrace, the timeout, coming back into the game, and not just coming back into the game, he got uh, 82 off 92 balls in this innings and essentially – you know, was hurrying through his wicket away. He was trying to belt the, belt the, belt the cover off it a little bit. You can just see that if he'd wanted to stay there, he'd have got another century for sure and potentially more. He is absolutely, clearly the best test cricketer in the world 
by some margin. He sees the ball like beach balls. I don't know if you saw that picture of him knocking a beach ball to the to the boundary ropes. But his his ability to calmly put himself into the right space to face anything that comes from the bowlers just changes the entire game. You can see some great bowlers in broad and archers starting to show that he's got something. They get so frustrated by Steve Smith because he's unique, he's got it going on, and he's come back from disgrace to not just play well, but to play at a ridiculous level. I mean, I can't remember what his average is now after the 82, but he was averaging in the 140s or something silly. Mm. Um, and, and it's so hard to get him out. It is got, it's so hard. It is unbelievable. <laughs> Nikki, the uh, the Guardian newspaper um, has a great uh, opening paragraph to a story on on some of Steve Smith today, saying, you know, "Should Australia win the Ashes?" And um, we've recorded this leading up to the final stage play. They're saying it will feel thoroughly disingenuous to say that Australia did any such thing. It is all down to Steve Smith, and they're quoting Winston Churchill: <laughs> "Never, never was so much owed by so many to so few." And the few they say are a party of one, Steve Smith. I mean, he's quite—he's oh, he's amazing. He is amazing. Well, look, I think that's that's clutching at straws from the English because at the end of the day, that's what—that's how you win Ashes series by having players that stand up. And just because it happens to be one player and not two players and not five players, doesn't make it any any less impressive. Um, the fact is that he's just standing out. And I used to think that Virat Kohli was the best Test batsman in the world, but. I can't go past Steve Smith now. I mean, he is, um, as you say, you, you, you can't get him out. And I know you, you briefly compared him, um, to the Don Bradman era, Ben. And I believe he's, he's probably only got maybe 130 runs left to get in an Ashes series to surpass, um, Sir Don, which is absolutely phenomenal. And, um, that double century too. Interestingly, you know, comes in after concussion, but not only that, when he was given that reprieve with the no ball, he he said that all that proof to do, instead of rattle him, was refocus him. And he comes back out and he says, oh, oh I've got my game back together now. And, you know, goes on and scores uh, 211 runs. So absolutely phenomenal. And, no, there is nobody that, that comes close to him at the moment. So, uh, I, I, well, I think Australia will retain the Ashes, yes, which yeah. we will know by and the time we go to air. Yeah, we should. And, Benny, you must be secretly smiling to yourself that David Warner has been a bit of a flop this series, yes? Craig, I wouldn't wish ill will on anybody, my friend. I've just previously <laughs> I've just previously challenged Dave Warner from about his behaviour <laughs> and he has not been a good ambassador for the game. Um, I was happy for him if he had his head screwed on right to come back and do well, but he hasn't. And it's simple as that. You you, you mentioned the Guardian having a crack and saying it's all about one man. Well I think the bowlers might have something to say about that. You don't just bat mm. at cricket, you bat and you bowl as well. Uh, he's clearly the most influential and the reason he's been so important as well is because the other guys have been going so poorly. We need right-handers because Stuart Broad is just really tearing apart the left-handers. He's just getting that angle and that ball movement that means that they're all going pretty ordinarily at the time, getting LBWs, Nick's behind, and Stuart Broad's looking like a genius. Against the right-handers, not so much. So, as I said, I don't wish ill will on David Warner, but you know it is a bit of a just desserts for, for a bloke um, who hasn't conducted himself well. But look, I think he's paid his dues with his timeout. Now he's got to show he can do it with the bat. He's not doing that. Make some changes. We need some blokes to score some runs. I've got a question um, for, for you guys. Uh, so in March next year, Smith becomes eligible to captain Australia again. 
Would you, given the way he's played through this Ashes series and his return to cricket, give him the captaincy? Can I give you two answers? Sure. <laughs> the, the short answer is I wouldn't because I think I, – I don't ever think he was a great captain. I think he was a, a very good batsman who happened to be an, a straightforward pick and was doing reasonably well as captain. I don't think he was a great mm-hmm. captain. Um, but also, he's come back into the team without the pressures. With you know, the history of the sandpaper gate still hangs over him. Without the pressure of having to lead or make the decisions or front the press conferences all the time. Look how well he's playing. Don't upset that. You know, you might maybe you put that on him and he changes. But the the, the true fact of the matter is, it might have to be him. Because exactly. Because pain isn't. You know, pain is not going to be mm-hmm. there forever. Pain's doing a reasonable job. Not scoring a heap of runs. Very good wicket keeper. You know, not a lock for this team. He might be playing himself out of the team over the next period of time, and Steve Smith might be the only obvious candidate. So, mm. look, I, I, I wouldn't begrudge him it at all, and I wouldn't be concerned if they put him in there. Other than why, why make the change if you don't need to? And but maybe it's you know maybe it's the full the full circle coming complete, and it's the final way for him to heal after after the disgrace that he's been through to regain that position. Mm. Very diplomatic, and and besides that, there's no no one else, as you said, who's going to put their hand up. Um, but I don't think they'll tinker with it; they'll have to leave pain. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk a lot of rugby. You're listening to the Quasi Sport Podcast with Nikki, Craig, and Ben. You are indeed listening to the Quasi Sport Podcast. I'm Craig, and at the other end, through the magic of technology, is Ben and Nikki. Now we're going to talk a bit of rugby, of course. But just weeks away, can you believe it, from this year's Rugby World Cup. Uh, on the weekend, the All Blacks 92, Tonga 7. <laughs> Ooh, that was horrible. The way. I mean, it was, it was enjoyable from a just a breathtaking point of view of how well the, the All Blacks are, are playing heading into the World Cup. Wallabies did it a little bit harder against Samoa, 34-15. Samoa, those two tries after halftime, got it back in the game. All right, I'll put it first to you, Nikki. Did we actually learn anything about the All Blacks, or was it Really, just more. It's just a shame to show the state of Pacific rugby that Tonga was flogged that much. Yeah, well, Steve Hansen came out today actually criticising um, World Rugby and saying that they're not doing enough to help these second tier nations, specifically the, like Tonga. So he obviously doesn't think so. But um, I think what it did highlight was that it was basically a training session and a hit out for. For Hanson's men, um, my biggest concern watching that game was I would hate to see someone, you know, get injured uh, and be out for a World Cup in a game that really uh, probably didn't offer them too much. I think really it was a chance for him to uh, go back to his original combinations, which my husband Scott is convinced will be the starting lineup against South Africa, you know, come come the start of the World Cup, and that is at Barrett at 10, uh, Ben Smith back in a specialist position at fullback. Um, and probably uh, Leonard Brown and Crotty in the midfield and Sevi Reese and Bridge um, rounding it out on the wings, which is interesting. No place for Rico Yuani. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting um, – it was a hit out as much as anything, as, as I say. And uh, 
I'm, I'm not convinced that uh, my husband Scott's right on that. I still think that perhaps uh, they'll they'll start with Moanga in at first five. I'm always right. <laughs> that was him if you managed to hear that. Um, and that they will keep Barrett back at 15. But I think I think the key is that Hanson wants to keep South Africa guessing for that first game. So if he's managed to achieve that from the hit out against Tonga, then, um, then he'll be happy, I guess. Gosh, looking at the ages of some of those players, Bowdenbury is 28. He's like an old man there at the moment. George Bridger, you mentioned, is 24. Geordie Barrett's mm. only 22. Um, Benny, the Wallabies, um, what did we learn from the, the win over Samoa? I think we saw we saw in both the All Blacks and the Wallabies game the, the consistent story we see around these sides. The Wallabies past their best team aren't as strong. The All Blacks have depth. Um, and the All Blacks tend to be flat-track bullies against teams that are a tier or two below. The Wallabies are known to struggle and not quite be able to to put teams to the sword in, in anywhere near the same sort of fashion. So the Wallabies themselves, um, you know, when you look at that starting line up to face Marnie Samoa, I think there was one, probably um, Lucan Salakai Loto at number six, uh, and hopefully David Pocock, you know, probably the only two real contenders there. And Will Genia, maybe three, that were going to be a um, good chance of the starting lineup. Um, or good chance of being uh, very strongly considered for the starting lineup. So in that respect, not too bad. The best things were David Pocock got through uh, without being injured. Uh, Jack Dempsey returned, and he's going to give us some back row depth, which we desperately need. Uh, and apart from that, Adam Ashley Cooper went all right. So look, it was it was a game where you, you would have liked to have seen the Wallabies, um, you know, do a bit better. The big issue there was the scrum was put a, was was smashed a couple of times, and that's. After Eden Park, that's a couple of weeks or a couple of games now that they've had that issue. But really overall, I think um, echoing sort of Steve Hansen's words but being a bit harsher on both Australia and New Zealand, Australia and New Zealand benefit mightily from the islands, from the from the rugby that's played in the islands, from the Tongans, the Fijians, the Samoans. Mm. Um, you know, our rugby, both New Zealand and Australian rugby, um, su- benefits significantly from those islands. So it's not just about world rugby supporting them. Surely it's about Australia and New Zealand too. So. Steve Hanson, have a look in your own backyard as well, buddy. <laughs> and as we head into the World mm. Cup, Ireland are now um, number one in the world. Nikki, are you still, like many New Zealanders that I speak to, particularly at work and at Sky, they just, they're rugby mm. mad. They're a little bit nervous about the All Blacks' chances. How are you feeling? Oh, look, I think, um, you know, the last two World Cups that the All Blacks have won, um, they were, you know, by far the favourites and I think this is the most wide open World Cup we've seen you know in quite some time and in Steve Hansen actually said there's probably five legitimate contenders that could you know rate their own chances for taking this World Cup and I think that makes for a fabulous competition Ireland of course being um, one of them and, and, and yes they they are um, very good but I mean let's not forget that England demolished them 57-15 not long ago um, so they're not infallible either um, I, think, I think the Wallabies, Ireland, England, Wales, South Africa are all contenders but then look Wales they they lost three of their warm-up games so everyone's a little bit sort of a um, little bit hit and miss and I think that's that's actually a good thing um, but don't forget Warren Gatlin he's very very good at uh, pulling out the the big game and the big games and the wins and, and Joe Schmidt, both of them, they're sort of uh, swan song for both of those countries. So they'll want to go out on a high. So um, look, I think 
I'm just really excited about it. I can't wait for it to get underway. I am desperate to see the All Blacks beat South Africa in that first match because obviously that then gives them a decent pass through to the quarterfinals. Um, if they don't, then it's going to be a very nervous quarterfinal potentially against Ireland, which uh, I won't be looking forward to. I'm pretty confident, Benny, about the Wallabies' chances of at least going deep into the competition. You agree? No, mate. No. <laughs> I think we'll beat Wales. But <laughs> let me. <laughs> we always I do. That's. I love the optimism, Craig. But we've yep. we've shown. Look, got a it, feeling. it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be a, a Michael Checker um, a magical moment, which we haven't seen since 2015. <laughs> to be frank. Um, uh, look, look, they're a chance because I think they can beat any team on their day. The fact I don't think they can string two or three together. They're just never consistent enough. They, they need a dry track. They need things to go their way. They need to get their confidence up. And I don't think that they have shown that they're a team that can do that consistently. So, look, I, I would love to see it. I don't think it's it's going to happen. Um, uh, I'd also just say don't read too much into these warm-up games. Ireland getting flogged, sure, but um, even even the Wallabies this week, I know they, they actually trained fully deep into the week. So it wasn't like a normal test preparation week for them. They didn't taper off and then, you know, have a nice cruise through and be nice and fit on the Saturday. They had a full training session Wednesday or Thursday even, um, and they said they were getting flogged. So they would have had some heavy legs the way they came into that game. Um, Ireland and Wales, they're trying things out. They're just they're easing themselves into the World Cup. And I did want to talk about, you mentioned Ireland have gone number one, Craig, and I've been seeing a lot of mm. pundits around the world slamming the world rugby systems uh, and giving them giving them grief because they've bounced around and everyone's saying, oh, we know the All Blacks are number one in the world. The short answer is there's a mathematical structure that works out who's beating who. And for a long time, the All Blacks have been number one until the last couple of years, and they had a big gap in the rankings. And in the last couple of years, they've lost to Ireland a couple of times, they've lost to South Africa a couple of times or drawn with South Africa. And then, you know, if, 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 if Ireland beat the All Blacks and then Wales beat Ireland, that reflects well on Wales. So I'm more than comfortable with what the ratings are showing. And while I still believe the All Blacks are favourites, and rightly so, what the ratings are showing is that there are five teams or more that are a chance here, and that's fantastic. It is a fantastic thing that when Ireland and Wales, you know, and England and the All Blacks hit the park and South Africa, and I wish I was putting the Wallabies in there, but all right, we'll chuck them in and the Wallabies hit the park, the game's in the balance. No one's just thinking this is, you know, the All Blacks are going to win this one. People know Ireland had the wood on the wallbacks at times. South Africa are doing very well against the All Blacks. So I, I think the rankings are showing exactly that and, and more power to them. I don't like the rankings that they've got Argentina outside the top 10, but that's probably has more to do with who the Pumas are playing and their schedule and they've got to play us all the time. And that kind of thing. Oh, right, it, we'll be they're, they're not winning, mate. No, and they're not, and they're not winning. It's, but it's who they're playing. All right. We will have lots more rugby chats in the next few weeks. Let's have a break and get come back. And I'm looking forward to Benny picking Ricky Stewart, his grade of the week, our goose and greats. What's happening in trans-Tasman sport? From Australia and New Zealand with Nikki, Ben and Craig. This is the Quasi Sport Podcast with Nikki, Ben and myself, Craig. All right, let's, uh, let's jump in our goose and greats. Let's start with you, Benny. Who is your great? Is it Ricky Stewart this week? Ricky Stewart. At home in Canberra against the Warriors whose season is over, the demoralized Warriors, and he gets done. This is this is your genius, is it, mate? This is your this is your leader. Yeah. And I've said like I've, I've heard rumors too of foul mouthed gifts doing the rounds of Ricky. 
<laughs> Mate, uh, no, no, he's not my great. I, I suspect uh, Nicky and I are going to be in rude agreement on our grades this week, and we've already covered him. Um, Steve Smith, you just can't go past him. He's so unorthodox. I saw a great, another, uh, a great clip doing the rounds of Courtney Walsh taking the proverbial um, as a batsman, and it's very similar to what Smith does now, but Smith's doing it seriously. The, the flashing of the bat after it goes through, the pointing. Yeah. The pra- he, was, he was even practicing a shot lying flat in his back uh, the other day. So, mate, for my grade, I can't go past Steve Smith, even though it is hashtag Ricky's last season. <laughs> Nikki, you agree? I hate it when I have to give my grade of the week to an Australian, especially one that's been so disgraceful in the past and I just really <laughs> wanted to see him fail. But <laughs> I've got I've got nothing. I mean, he's been phenomenal. And so, no, I've, I mean, everything has already been said in the podcast tonight. So I'd have to agree with you, Ben, Ben Smith, uh, Steve Smith. Ben Smith. No, he's ben an all black. <laughs> Steve Smith. <laughs> well said. All right. Uh, Let's stay with you, Nikki. Who's your goose? Well, now this is where it gets fun because your Raiders, Craig, I know how much you love them. And yes, they have had a a very, very good season. And actually, now that my Warriors are are no longer going to be in the competition, I would really like to put my support behind the Raiders and see them go on. I I, I don't know that they can actually win this competition, but I'd really... I'd really like to jump on board, if I may. <laughs> However, um, one of your players <laughs> I'm not jumping on board with, and he is a serial offender, uh, a fellow by the name of Hudson Young, and a lot of our listeners may already know that he is um, probably going to be up on charges of eye gouging. Um, in June, he was he pleaded guilty to an eye gouge on Aidan Tolman. Um, he's been fined for raking the face of Dylan Walker before. He is one of these players that Ricky Stewart needs to pull aside and say, mate, you've got to sort your shit out. And, and Ricky didn't. I, I believe he defended him after the game and said, oh, no, no, I asked him about it. And he said, oh, no, there was no eye gouge there on uh, Adam Pompey. Well, <laughs> the cameras don't lie, and it was pretty bad. So um, he's probably going to spend some time on the sideline, and he might miss some of the uh, finals. So for that reason, goose of the week. Uh, and Benny? I think it's it's going to be a double agree here, which is an unusual one for us. Uh, actually, no, no. I'll, I'll pick someone else. I'll pick something else. But before I do, um, you know, I'm just going to hang that one around the coach. Who's coaching a team where there's such that such sort of activities going on? Surely that's a Ricky Stewart <laughs> leadership issue. Mm. I'm not mm-hmm. jumping on your train, mate. Your conductor's your conductor's not my style of guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, actually, I love the Canberra Raiders. I've always loved the Canberra Raiders. I enjoy the team, but I cannot. I, Steve Ricky Stewart is like R- David Warner for me. I can't. I can't celebrate his success because <laughs> I don't. I don't think he's the sort of person who should have success because he's such an angry man. Um, uh, I, you know what? I, I, for my goose, I'm going to go. I almost picked for my great Stephen Kearney and, and Paul uh, Paul McGregor, of course, who had massive wins. The Dragons smashed the <laughs> Titans by about eight points to lock up fifteenth spot. What a great season for Mary McGregor, who's under pressure. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to. I'm going to repeat a goose I had from earlier in the year when the Dragons re-signed McGregor for another two years with zero evidence that he was going to deliver anything to the club. Uh, so just a just a little historic goose of the week. I'm going to give them my potentially my goose of the year at the end of the year, but my Dragons management uh, who locked up Mary McGregor, kept him safe from the clutches of the zero other teams who wanted to hire him. Uh, and, uh, and put themselves <laughs> in the pickle that they're now in. So 
There you go, Craig. That's my goose of the week. Rugby league <laughs> gooses. What a shock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true that. Yes, what a shock. All right, well, that was fun. All right, we will talk to you next week when the Aussies have wrapped up the Ashes and uh, the teams are firmly ensconced preparing for the World Cup in Japan. Nikki, thank you very much for your input as usual. Oh, lovely to chat with you guys. Looking forward to the World Cup. And Ben, you know I love Ricky Stewart. Yes, I do, Craig, and you're a team of one there for me. And uh, I'm off to the World Cup in a uh, in about 10 or 12 days, so um, we might be doing a quasi from Japan. I am. I'm going to go for a couple of weeks. So quasi from Japan, perhaps. Uh, let's keep an eye out for that. He's taking the quasi private jet. I'm Craig Norrberg. <laughs> be listening from the jet next week. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Quasi Sport Podcast. 